Welcome to We're Not Wizards. We are the best, but not wizards. Enjoy the show! Episode of We Are Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for September. Uh, we're going to be quick tonight. We're going to be snappy, you know. I'm just looking for somebody to come on the show. I was looking for peas. I'm probably going to get a little bit of war, but not just normal war, a bit of outer space war. I need somebody to come in and be my hero. Maybe my guitar hero? I don't know. He was a skater boy. <laughs> I said, see you later, boy. They're shaking their head and they're going, where can these puns go? Where can these puns go? They can maybe go into the American wasteland. I have no idea. Or maybe I should drag them back into the proving ground. You know, I don't know. I don't know if he's my guitar hero, my guitar hero three, my guitar hero four, my warriors of rock, or maybe we should just disappear from ghosts. Because I have got somebody who is going to come in with their tactics, their snappy snapship tactics. I've got Scott Pease, who's coming in to talk about snapship tactics. Hello there, sir. How's it going? That was, uh, boy, that was a whole bunch of dad puns, like one right after another. I, <laughs> I think I think we're kind of ages with each other. I think so there's a little bit, there's a kind of a little bit of synergy <laughs> kind of going on. Um, we are going to talk about a couple of things this evening. First of all, thank you very, very much for taking your time to come out because I know you're a visit. You're very, very busy at the moment, uh, so we're not going to take up a huge amount of your time. We are going to talk about Snapship Tactics, which is it's kind of an a really, really interesting take on the traditional kind of ships on a map. I know we get kind of like dudes on a map and stuff like that, but ships on a map is a big thing. We've got our Star Wars Armada out there. We've got like our... We've got a Mantic Armada when it comes to ships, and then we've got kind of snap ships, which um, snap ships isn't something that's just been kind of here all of a sudden kind of out there. It's actually been an idea that's kind of been kind of gestating for a while. But your history is, and the reason I kind of mentioned all these maybe f- Tony Hawks and Guitar Hero and stuff like that, is you, you cut your teeth within the video game world. So, but when you were at college in university, you didn't do anything connected with video games. Am I right? Well, sort of. I mean, when I, back when I went to college, you couldn't major in video games. Um, Of course you can now. Yeah. So, uh, but I was, I was kind of big into them and also into board games as well. Hmm. And uh, the closest thing I could find uh, was majoring in film and television. So I did that. So what kind of, what kind of stuff were you kind of doing? Was there, was there something that you can say as a major you talk about? In yeah. States? I mean, I mean, yeah, it was, uh, it was, um, so I was um, here in Los Angeles at UCLA. Mm-hmm. There was, it was like a two year program. Mm-hmm. And Honestly, it was it was kind of amazing preparation for the video game industry because um, your senior year, your final year, you have to write, produce, direct, mm-hmm. shoot, 
cast, edit, and you know a short film. Yeah, and it's like it's a big project, and it's it, at the time it cost several thousand dollars to put that all together, and uh, it's complicated, and you kind of got to go through all the steps, and then you know, flash forward. It's kind of how, in in a way, like a lot of that stuff applies to to making video games, and then you know later on, you know, in the last few years, it's applied to to making board games as well. So leaving the video games to one side, because that's a given, and I'm pretty sure that you've spent, when you spent your 15 years at Neversoft, you probably did a bunch of these chats about, you know, getting the Tony Hawk's license and then, you know, getting the Call of Duty license and then getting the various kind of band licenses to deal with the kind of like the Guitar Hero kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the kind of the Luddite side, the analog side, what was your journey like with board games i'm guessing like everybody you did the traditional kind of monopoly and everything like that but. oh oh you, you want to go back all the Let's way back no, actually <laughs> take a seat take a seat on the couch <laughs> i've got my notepad here you know honestly uh when i when i was growing up um i loved board games and i i loved the deeper bigger more games so i don't know if you remember the um the Milton Bradley Game Master series yeah. of games, Axis yeah. and Allies and yeah. Broadsides and Boarding Parties and Shogun and wow. um, uh, what's oh Fortress America, right? Like all yeah. these sort of Ameritrash games. I loved those games as a kid. And I was, uh, I was always trying to design games as well, like on my own, making games for my, my younger brothers and mm-hmm. my friends and we'd play them and uh, they'd always be a mess, but it was... Um, I kind of enjoyed the making more than the playing a lot of times. Um, and of course that kind of just carried into my career as well. Were you always kind of like a creative soul then? If I gave you like, like, you know, a packet of crayons and a couple of sheets of A4 paper, <laughs> would I come back and you'd have like been drawing dragons on one side and knights on the other and just like kind of en- I, being able to entertain yourself? I'd probably just draw a cartoon of you and uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> make it funny uh something like that no i i i definitely love the making of things there's something um i don't know i just coming up with a concept and it just being an idea and then carrying that thing all the way through to the finish line until it's an actual whether it be a, a digital game or a physical mm-hmm. product that's i don't know that's what kind of keeps me going keeps me excited because you were studio development director so mm-hmm. with you sounding like you're wanting to be hands-on, did you make sure you were kind of maintaining that kind of hands-on-ness? Were you kind of involved in the project? Were you like, give me a controller here, let me kind of play this and try this kind of thing? It depended, right? Like it, um, so when I started out, when we made uh, Pro Skater 1, mm-hmm. the team was roughly about 13 people. Yeah. So, and I was the producer and it was very hands-on in terms of, I was designing things like how the UI would work and the goal system. I was working with the programmer to like balance out the the tricks and the scoring and the timing and all that kind of stuff. And as the series progressed, the team just got bigger and bigger and bigger and video games got more and more complicated. So it became a little bit harder to, to um, keep my hands in there, but I tried to at least up until Tony five, um, yeah. do a, a little bit of hands-on stuff all the way all the way through that uh, a little less so in guitar hero and then uh call of duty was like you know was kind of working on certain aspects with from a higher level like 
some story stuff and some yeah. level stuff, but um, very little actual implementation. Um, but did you miss here, that then? Did you miss actually being the creative site? Did that did that kind of push you? Because I can imagine you getting home from work after a day of going through the same storyboards and saying, well, how do we make this? How do we press this button? How do we get them to do that? Okay, go away and do that. And you coming home and saying, just give me some wood. I want a little some wood. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to make myself a little steamboat. Give, give me that. Make... <laughs> give me that spreadsheet. I want to. I want to whittle that spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> Did it become a spreadsheet thing though? Yeah, because I can imagine I when mean, you're well, getting to project management, it must be getting. It is. It absolutely is. I mean, you're doing a lot of that stuff. Um, but even on the development side, you're still doing stuff in spreadsheets. I mean, when you're when mm. you're making board games, you're doing design work in spreadsheets and tweaking numbers and you know, um, play testing and, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I did, I did actually miss it. And that's why I think I created this whole, uh, <laughs> call it a secondary hobby career of, of making tabletop games, which is kind of the exact opposite. It is all hands-on. Um, <laughs> I don't do everything obviously, but, um, yeah. I have my fingers in pretty much everything and I kind of know, every aspect of every detail and everything that's kind of going on. So it's been um, kind of crazy <laughs> and a lot more work than I probably even anticipated, but it's been a lot of fun too. Is it, is it more personal in the board game space than it was in the video game space? I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. Okay. As a direct example. Okay. I can email Jamie Stegmaier and ask him to come on the podcast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I couldn't email Shigeru Miyamoto and say, Hey, do you fancy kicking back for, a, you know, 45 minutes and chatting about Mario? There seems to be kind of like, like we're having conversation, but the conversation was like a secondary degree kind of connection. Yeah. I, I mean, like you probably could have done that 20 years ago though, in the yeah. video game industry. I mean, when I started out, it was very much, kind of felt like the board game industry. It was all informal. It was small teams, mm -hmm. small businesses. Everyone's trying to figure out how to make a game and make a good game for these, for these platforms. Um, so I do actually, I, I actually really do like that aspect of it. And I like that there's a lot of, um, obviously with tabletop stuff, you're doing a lot more stuff in person. Um, mm -hmm. you're going to conventions, you're meeting fans. Um, with the video game stuff, it was always, all that stuff was always at arm's length. Like yeah. Activision took care of all that stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. There were lots of people, there were like walls between us and, and you know, in a lot of ways, our customers. Um, and that's completely different in the, in the tabletop space. So when did, with Snapships, because I looked up when I was looking up Snapships and I was like, oh, this is a, this is a toy range thing because I didn't really hear much of Snapships in the UK. Mm -hmm. But I guess the thing is, if you've got a big enough market in America, that's fine. It kind of takes, you know, there's a whole pile of toys stateside. <laughs> they kind of like, if you get the distribution, you get the sales. It's like, well, we don't really need to, you know, Europe means getting on a boat, <laughs> sending stuff over there. It's well, it means it means having really good people over there, right? Who yeah. like who get it and who can like market and push yeah. it and 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 do all that stuff. And I think, yeah, with Snapships, it was just it was a uphill battle in in the UK and Europe um, for that toy line. But um, let's go. Uh, I'll just 
take us back. I mean, basically, I, I retired from video games in 2014. Yeah. And then about a year later, um, I just had had always kind of wanted to do a uh, a spaceship combat game <laughs> with modular pieces. <laughs> it was just like one of these ideas that had been kicking around in my brain since I was a kid. Yeah. And uh, I just started prototyping some stuff and I called up my buddy, Jeff uh, Swenty, who um, at the time he still worked for Activision as a mocap director, uh, but he was also a 3D printing guru and uh -huh. he got really into the idea as well. So we just started like prototyping some pieces and making things on our 3D printers. And before you know it, we just both fell into the rabbit hole of trying to perfect this sort of, um, I guess you'd call it like a Lego-like building system, although yeah. it is kind of different from Lego in that we don't really deal in bricks. We deal in kind of bespoke pieces that that snap together. And hopefully at the, the end result is you come up with a model that looks like a model, like a mini, yes. and not like not like a blocky, um, you know, <laughs> multicolored uh, Lego monstrosity, which is what most people are able to create with Legos. Um, of course, there are some incredible Lego artists out there who make these amazing things, but that is a ton of work. Yeah, yeah. But I remember Lego trying to go down that line before it kind of managed to land kind of like these various different um, licenses. And I think it was, I think, I think what saved or what started to save Lego was when the Phantom Menace came out because they managed to get the license. And for a while, yep. you were buying bits of Lego that were like, I used to joke with my friends. It was like, you're buying like something that says, it's a truck. And you opened it up and it was literally just like two big blocks you stuck together because they seem to have moved away from trying to like say, right, we're going to create the, we're going to create the stuff out of the, the kind of the Lego catalog to let's just pre-mold a kind of a whole, a kind of a whole of the shapes. With you, with you coming from obviously the, the Neversoft background and the Activision background where I'm guessing you could at that time as development director walk into a room and say, guys, I know we're working to budget here, but could we have this, this, and this? Was it refreshing for you to be kind of restricted then that you couldn't necessarily easily have everything that you had to maybe compromise, be innovative about how you were putting together the kind of the snapshots offering? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, I, honestly, the... <laughs> The biggest change was that when I was in video games, we were working to always working to an insane schedule. Mm. So we did we did nine Tony Hawk games in nine years. Yeah. And that was just <laughs> and, and as the games got more and more complex, um, the time never, you know, expanded. It just stayed stayed at a year. We did God, how many seven Guitar Hero games in like four years or something like that, which was crazy. And then we did we did one Call of Duty that route, you know, we should have it should have taken two to three years. We did mm. that one in about 18 months. So the time we were always fighting the time. It was yeah. always just efficiency uh, insanity where you just you have to make progress all the time. So the nice thing about working on my own stuff is I can at least take a little bit of a breather. And if it's mm. not perfect, I can say, okay, let's just redo it again. Let's try to get it perfect rather than being like, well, that's good enough. Cause we got, <laughs> we're on a schedule. We got to, we got to hit Christmas. We can't yeah, miss Christmas. Yeah. That was, that was, that was the mantra in, uh, in video games. Like you cannot miss Christmas. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. 
and there's tales of crunch and we're not going to talk about crunch because everybody you know it's there's enough i got i got the scar you want to see the scars i was gonna say i I think the the tattoo on your neck that said crunch didn't kill me is kind of kind of novel is that you can see you wake up every day it's like they give prisoners tattoo tears it's like i wonder if there's like a a developer kind of tattoo that you see somebody that was a video game developer and you, you just say yeah yeah he's got the little They've got the little kind of sand timer tattoo on the side it's of their the, neck. Yeah. Well, it's the thousand yard stare usually that does it. <laughs> <laughs> and the long size as you explain your, your brilliant idea. Yeah. But was it, um, again, was it kind of exciting to them be out? You've got this product, you've developed Snapships to get the product out there and to be back to being kind of pitching. Because I can imagine the discussions that when you go into like Guitar Hero, and you're doing like Guitar Hero, Aerosmith and stuff like that. It was just basically a kind of, well, we're going to do this and we're going to do that and we're going to do the next thing. And it's like, yeah, yeah, that sounds cool. Just, you know, put it together. Whereas with something like Snapships, you've already mentioned kind of Europe and the UK, but was it refreshing and challenging? Did it bring a bit of spark back to say, hey, somebody might actually say no, or this isn't going to work for us, or they might get I've got to create some more excitement from like the get-go. I Yes. And I think honestly, the biggest roadblocks that we ran into is we just didn't, we kind of didn't know what we didn't know. Um, mm. You know, like we had been working in the digital space for so long that yeah. to return to the physical space, I mean, there are all kinds of barriers about materials and cost of goods and yeah. can the thing be manufactured? And so like, so Snapships originally had magnets in every in every piece. Wow. So <laughs> we made a prototype that had a Snapship cube that had like six intense <laughs> <laughs> magnets in it. And the pieces snapped together in a super satisfying way. Yeah. And it was like magic. And we took it to uh, some uh, toy inventors and they took one look at it and they're just like, you guys are crazy. Like magnets are way too expensive, yeah. way too endangered too dangerous they, they kill children and, and animals <laughs> you got it like no 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 go back to the drawing board so like there, there was a lot of that in the in the early days of snapships where we were trying to mm-hmm. basically come up with a connection system that would would work and could be manufactured and could hold up and and, and do all that stuff so a lot of um a lot of trial and error um you know doing that stuff in the early days what was the what was the, um, do you remember distinctly when it kind of like everything, okay, and I apologize up front, everything kind of snapped <laughs> together for the first time and you went, this is, this is an actual thing. This is, I, you know. I think it was, so we, so we went back to that drawing board and we came up with this um, connection system that's in the toy today, mm. or in all the models and in the game, which is it has like a kind of a softer inner core and then, um, and then a hard outer shell to the pieces. And that softer inner core allows you to manufacture pieces with pegs that can actually snap in and hold in. And the, and the, you don't have the hard on hard plastic um, things rubbing together and getting loose over time that Mm -hmm. you have with a lot of toys. So that was, that was kind of the breakthrough. And we figured out how to print all that stuff on our home 3d printers. And then we made hundreds of pieces, (laughs) hand assembled them, and we took them to over here in the States, what are called maker fairs, yeah. you know, for like where 
3D printing enthusiasts. And we would just put out a bin and say, this is for making spaceships and then just kind of see what would happen. And um, we just, our booth was always slammed with <laughs> kids and adults yeah. who were just fascinated by it and would pick it up and just play with it. You know, literally some of them would sit at our booth for like hours and just make ship after ship after ship. So that that was kind of the moment where we were like, huh, okay, I think this is working. I think we got something here. Um, maybe we can uh, <laughs> try to find a broader audience for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's the nature of it. It's the, tac the tactile nature. And there's a satisfying, there is the kind of the satisfying click when you put mm -hmm. things together. And I think one, it's really strange because there's like, there's kind of like over in, in Eastern Europe, there is kind of like a Lego copy and I think they're called Kobe and it's the same kind of brick system. And I don't know how they, they, they build basically military units. You can pick up like whole piles of tanks and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But when you put the stuff together, you don't necessarily get the Lego kind of snap or the Lego kind of connect. Mm -hmm. Whereas snap ships, it was kind of, you putting them together and go, oh, this is actually clicking together and it's kind of, and it's kind of quite, kind of quite solid. Did you, with, with the kind of the size of the parts and stuff like that, did you then have to look at kind of like the age range? Did that, with the size of the parts, did that put the age range up? I mean, the age range thing is, is interesting. So we, you know, even back at the maker fairs, we saw a huge range of people. We'd see like kind of older adults who are mm. like into, you know, nerdy hobbies, like, yeah. <laughs> like myself, like playing tabletop games, they were into it. And then we had kids who were into it too. Um, so, uh, what happened out of the maker fair is we got noticed by tested, um, the, uh, the YouTube channel and they did a, a story on us. And then that got us exposed to a toy company named play monster. Yes. Ended up licensing the Snapships um, idea from us and they turned it into a toy line and they chose to focus on sort of the, um, I don't know, I guess you'd call it like eight to 10 year old um, audience in the, in the United States. So that was kind of the first mm -hmm. incarnation of, of Snapships. But I think even from, from day one, uh, myself and Jeff always saw it as something that had a broader appeal. It wasn't, wasn't like, a throwaway, you know, junk, like so many of the toys these days are sort of these one trick ponies that yeah. these companies throw out there and then they're like forgotten about a year later and they're trashed. And we always saw it as like, we want to build a, we want to build an intellectual property, right? Like yeah, um, no, no, no. A, whole, yeah, yeah. a whole universe of things and it's got a lore to it and there's all these pieces and, um, you know, build it up over time and, uh, and keep making it broader and broader so you can build more and more interesting things. So. No, yeah. I mean, we have a rule in our house, which is, and my wife's like, we could just throw the Lego out. And it's like, you, you don't, you don't throw out Lego. And it's like, but, he, <laughs> but he's 10. You don't. <laughs> he's, I know, he's 10. I've got Lego all over my office. I've got Legos, so I can't I give bring, it up. <laughs> I can bring over like literally a, a two boxes of the stuff. And I went through figurines and I've got about, about a good 200 figurines but the whole point is it's there because i know i can delve back into it and kind of and kind of build it but the stuff i'm seeing on the original kind of snapship stuff um was i'm getting vibes of 
I'm getting vibes of kind of like I don't know Battlestar Galactica and kind of some of the kind of the you know not kind of it's kind of like Star Wars kind of adjacent stuff. There's a lot of stuff which kind of like I could see kind of being kind of like an olderish type audience. Um, and yeah, I'm t- I, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, like honestly, like Jeff and my um, aesthetics. I mean, like we're we're like sci-fi fans. We oh. love hard hard science fiction mm-hmm. uh, type stuff. Um, so that's kind of how we always saw it. Is is this you know? hard science infused sort of classic science fiction stuff, mm-hmm. um, which I don't know. I, our theory has always been, if you do, if you do science fiction really well, like it's going to appeal to the kids regardless. You don't need to like, you know, dumb it down or make, or kidify it or anything like that. Like kids will think it's cool and will want to be a part of it. That's, that's kind of always been our, our philosophy. So I think even the, the, the toy line itself does have sort of a, uh, you know, despite some of the elements, a very kind of working starship sort of feel to it, or at least that's kind of what we were going for. Yeah, there's it's it's not like it's shiny. It looks like if you're looking like an air vent or if you're looking at like a rocket launcher, it's like, well, that's obviously been used kind of like a couple of times. Mm-hmm. When it came to like, and I'm looking at this Claymore transport and I'm just, <laughs> I'm just this is giving me kind of aliens and avatar vibes. Mm-hmm. All, you know, all the day, day through. But speaking of that, was it at some point, did you sit down and say, can we look at kind of licenses? Could we look at like Halo? Could we look at, could we look at aliens? Could we look at, you know, these things? Yeah, we've, we've thought about it. Hmm. Um, it's tough in science fiction though. I mean, there's only like a handful of things that um, can really break through. Yeah. Um and obviously, you know, Star Wars and Star Trek kind of sit at the top and just sort of dominate. So, you know, uh, we didn't ever want to kind of be like a second fiddle. And we just, yeah. you know, since Playmonster was willing to like go out and like establish it as its own IP. I mean, mm-hmm. we wanted to run with that, right? Like we wanted to create our own thing yeah. that we would own and that um, we'd have control of. Because that was, you know, that was a thing that, again, to contrast it with the video game world, uh, at Neversoft, we were usually, you know, Pro Skater was kind of our thing, but it was still, <laughs> it became a franchise with its own rules. And, yeah. you know, Activision always had a say in it. And then, of course, Guitar Hero has its, that's, you're very clearly working in an IP, same with Call of Duty. So, yeah, yeah. Snapships was a nice break from all that. It was our own thing that, that we invented, we control it, we can kind of take it where we want to take it. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm being involved in kind of like, um, especially when it comes to Kickstarters and IPs and being involved when people say, Oh, can you, can you, can we look at this? Can you look at that? And it's like, yeah, yeah, sure. And it's like, but you can't talk about it until the 27th at 1103 precisely, because if you say anything before then, then it can, it can, we could potentially, it could destroy our kind of our contract, which I guess it gives you kind of like control. So Snapships, I'm I'm guessing Snapships is like it's it's your bread and butter. It's allowing you to do what you want to do, and then you go. I wonder what would happen if we got some dice on this and some kind of cards <laughs> on this, and we turned it into a space battle. So how did that? How did that journey kind of come about? Yeah. So so like I mentioned, I mean the the conception in the very beginning was this was for a board game. 
the problem was that as we got down the road of figuring out the whole connection system and the complexity of putting these models together, we realized trying to do both at the same time was just total insanity. Mm -hmm. Like there's like no way we could like get our, get our heads around both. So we purposely focused on just the toy line and the connection system, but the game idea was kind of sitting in the background, flash forward, the toy line comes out. We have a discord meetup, um, with a bunch of Snapships fans who build who build these amazing <laughs> ships. Yeah. Like they take our kits and they they buy multiple of them and they come up and this is really the whole goal with Snapships was we wanted people to create their own custom ships, right? Yeah. Like yeah. to express themselves, to build that that ship that's uniquely theirs and like no other. So we got a bunch of these folks in a in a video chat and one of the the probably the best builders out there. His name is Josh Dirksen. We were chat. We were talking to him, and we asked him, you know, hey Josh, what do you do for a living? Because um, you're so good at this. And he was like, oh, I, um, you know, I uh, design tabletop games. And we were like, <laughs> bling, <laughs> like <laughs> the heavens opened up just, and the, like the god rays came down. We just was like this. Do you want to make a little kind of cardboard and plastic baby? <laughs> So then here's the funny thing. So we, so after the the conversations over, we, you know, we talked to Josh separately and we're like, okay, yeah, you do tabletop games. Well, what, what have you done? he's like, oh, I've all, I've done the, um, the most popular, uh, campaign mode for star Wars X-Wing that's ever been made by fans. (laughs) Like, we're like, what? (laughs) And he's like, I've done games for, uh, I've worked in the Star Trek Alliance series and all this other stuff. And it was like, oh my God, he's not only is he a great builder, he is into sci-fi tabletop in a way that goes way beyond, um, you know, what Jeff and I, uh, could ever do. So basically, yeah, that was, uh, that was it. We were like, well, let's get together and see if we can um, build a tabletop game, um, you know, based on Snapships together. And so that's how the, the Lynn Vander studios is the company that Josh works for. And um, Lynn Vander and Snapships teamed up and we were kind of off, off on our journey to, you know, take what we had and turn it into um, a tabletop game that would deliver on sort of the promise of what Snapships are, which is like you build your own ship, yeah, great. Well, now you want it to play like the yeah. way you built it, right? Yeah. And so that that was uh that was our goal with it with the game. I mean, you could have um you could have taken the easy way out. I mean, you could have sold hundreds of packs of cards of and just put a very basic kind of fly each other kind of strategy battler. But were you quite adamant that this was going to have as much depth as as it was because there's a lot of and we'll get into the mechanics of the game but mm-hmm. there's a lot of depth to the kind of the game so did you put your foot down and say no let we're not we're not going to go cheap on this we're not going to go easy on it let's create something that's gonna sit on the yeah. table and folk are gonna say yeah it looks great but does it suck? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, there there was no question about it, right? Like I like we're we're doing this sort of uh, like I said for fun, um, and so the whole goal is to make something great. Like that's kind of mm. what drives me. I want it to be a really fantastic game, and I think and Josh is the same way. I mean, he's his his design 
attention to detail and sensibility and creativity is just off the charts. So, um, yeah, we, we had no interest in sort of a cash in or, you know, a quick and dirty thing. We wanted mm. to like, if, if we got down the road of the game and it wasn't really good, we might've just scrapped it, honestly, because I would, I would not want to put out like, it's too much effort to put the, to bring these things to the finish line. Yeah. If the game isn't great, totally not worth it. Yeah. Totally not worth it. And also it can actually damage the brand that you've got already, because if it isn't great, then people will say, this is a bit of a kind of a cheap, a kind of a cheap cash in. For sure. Yeah. Um, how much of the input was yours and Jeff's and how much of the input was kind of Josh's? Did he come to the table and say, look, I've been, uh, I've made this. <laughs> <laughs> it's the real book. I've only laminated it. I've not managed all of the illustrations and I've kind of got the cards here in my, in my car. I'll bring in the box. <laughs> or was it a pretty more of a collaborative kind of a, a thing? I'd say that the, let's say the vision was a collaboration in terms of, you know, uh, we discussed a bunch of possible ideas, but I was very adamant that, again, we wanted to deliver on the promise of what snapships are at their core, which is I'm going to make my own custom ship and I want to see how it fights yeah. on the battlefield against your ship or against the AI or whatever. Um, and so once, once, I don't know, once we got past that, then the minutia of sort of the game systems, that's all Josh. Like he, I was always struggling. I'm, I'm a big, um, I love CCGs. I'm a big CCG player. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So I was always struggling with like, well, how do we do something that in a way kind of taps in? Because in a CCG, right, same thing. You build a deck yeah. and then you battle against someone else to see, you know, did your build work or not? Um, but Josh came up with this really brilliant sort of distillation of that down to, um, you know, sort of a chassis card that defines the core of your ship. And then all these little part cards that match up one-to-one -one with the plastic pieces that are on your ship yes, and, and put that all together into this, you know, what we call the control panel of your ship so that basically the way your ship looks and the way it plays um, are united and are going to be different uh, for you versus your opponent or versus someone else who built their ship in an entirely different way. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Because if I look at say like the likes of say X-Wing, and everybody knows the X-Wing, but with X-Wing, if you see a game of X-Wing kind of laid out, there's there's literally kind of like a meter square of space for the space and the ships, and then there's another meter square of space for all the cards. <laughs> and it can become a huge kind of plethora of cards. X-Wing's a great system. I know people that love it. I know people that you could name, you know, Give me the top 10 cards. If I was going to use the Millennium Falcon, what would be the top 10 cards? And they would say, well, I'd use Han, I'd use Chewie, I'd use this, I'd use No Surrender, I'd use the Mephone mm -hmm. Torpedoes and things like that. But the difference with X-Wing is when you're playing the field of cards, I could have all the Photon Torpedoes and everything on my Falcon, and I could have the ramming bar at the front of the Falcon, and I can have the extra boosters on the back of the Falcon so it goes super maneuvers. But I never actually see that on the ship. And that was the kind of the thing that grabbed me as snapshots. And it was like, all right, so I'm going to build a ship. Oh, I'm going to build a ship. Oh, and here's the components. What are you going to do with the components? Well, I'm going to take the components that I want. So I've got my, my missiles. I'm going to put them here. 
And what, what then does that mean? Well, that means you get this card and you're actually going to play that card. So when you're playing a different ship, depending on the way you've built your ship, you can then have these different cards. And so they represent, the, the direct representation of what you actually have and you're playing with is actually there. And you don't see that in, let's face it, you don't, even if you're like playing something like, say, Kill Team, Warhammer or something like that. Yeah, you know, uh, Kill Team's a good example because it does, you do have like a loadout with all your different guys, but you do have models that have the guys. But if you then decide to like, I've got pistols instead, you can't kind of take the arms off easily and change them in for pistols. And that's kind of what kind of made it different. So with you having the kind of the background of snapships, did that, is that what kind of drove it to say, well, let's have a visual representation of what you're actually fighting with instead of here's daddy's cards on the table kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, and even Snapships itself is sort of, um, in, a, in a way, based on a lot of stuff we did in the video game world. We had, you know, Tony Hawk always had the create a character mode yeah. and, you know, like, or create a skate park mode. And I, I had a big hand in a lot of that stuff. So Snapships is like that, but for spaceships in a way. It's, uh, you know, you're creating your own thing. And we wanted we wanted it to play differently depending on how you, you had equipped your ship. And you know, like I said, it's, if you look at snapships, there's hundreds and hundreds of pieces, even just in this like kind of wave one. So again, like what Josh did was like kind of distill that down into a playable system because it is almost overwhelming the amount of pieces there are at your fingertips. But, um, so we take some shortcuts there, but, um, you know, again, I think the devil is in the details and like, the system that Josh came up for, you know, for the way that you allocate power to your cards and your cards actually give you the actions that you do on the battlefield. I think that's also, you know, pretty different from any other um, sort of space combat dogfighting game, right? Like I was reminded of um, the, um, and I hate, keep, talking about the x-wing video the x-wing video game on the pc how you could allocate kind of energy to kind of like shields or speed or defense and what i loved about um if you're watching kind of like any kind of star trekky the orville kind of thing where they're saying mm-hmm. oh we've got to we've got to, what how how can we work this captain well we've got to take power from here i should really do a scotty impression shouldn't i <laughs> <laughs> you know, technically, if there's going to be a time where somebody from Scotland does a Star Trek Scotty impression, then it's probably the best time now, you know. But we have to dive. <laughs> but he was Canadian, so he wasn't really doing a Scottish accent. But basically, we have to, you know, we have to kind of like di- divert the energy from the dilithium, di- dilithium crystals to the main matrix and then stick it back through the warp conduit, Captain. But I, I, didn't, I didn't kind of forgot the strength. But the whole, but the thing was, is like, and this is one of the things that I was like, it struck me as like Hearthstone. You know, Hearthstone, how you get like a pool of mat, a pool of energy at the beginning. And then you spend that energy on the cards that you're going to play. And then when I was looking at snapships, it was kind of like, okay, so you've got your seven power cubes. And then you're going to distribute it on the cards that you play for that round. And then um, basically, if you want to do other moves, then, and you, you've obviously not got enough power, but then there's some of these moves that need the red cubes, which is heat. 
So you allocate them to the cards and you're like, cool, cool. So I'm going to move this. I'm going to fire this cannon. I've got enough range because the ships are pretty big on the table. So it's quite easy for them to get in each other's faces. And then you're like, cool. And now I'm going to then fly again forward. And it's like, no, you can't. You can do your chassis move, which allows you to move a small move forward, but you can't fly forward again because you put your power cubes on your cards last round and you haven't removed the energy off that yeah. card. And to me, all of a sudden became like, it became like kind of spacey Star Trek. You've got a system here. You can't use that system because you've used that yep. system in the last turn. And then all of a sudden it's like, that's why it's tactics. It's not yep. moving around the board. It's what you're doing with the cubes on the cards and the heat yep. and then venting yep. and then, you yep. know. Yeah, I think that that's one of the brilliant things that Josh came up with is the ships have basically seven power cubes plus plus heat that you have to work with, but you can only get five back every turn. Yeah. So that little deficit creates all kinds of decision spaces around, well, do I only spend five cubes this turn so I can be fully cooled off next turn? And yeah. then, I, then I'll be in range and then I can like overload and spend all my cubes, but then I'm going to, you know, it's going to take me a couple turns to cool off and reclaim all those cubes again. Um, I think, uh, I think it was Jerry from Penny Arcade who said like, Oh my God, I'm like playing my own little mini Euro game right here in front of me <laughs> while I'm controlling my spaceship. Exactly. And yeah. It's, it's kind of like that. And, um, and, uh, and I think that's also, again, like kind of a way we wanted to differentiate ourselves from say something like X-Wing, like an X-Wing, uh, some of the complexity comes from you're, you're controlling a large squadron. Yes. Um, and each ship is kind of, you know, simple in what it can do in a way, although there's a lot of complexity there. I mean, you're juggling all these different things and snap ships. It's usually one V one, two V two, three V three ships. So you're kind of controlling, I guess, a little bit bigger ships that have a little more complexity and depth to them. And you have to really manage each ship individually um, to get the most performance out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is as well is though, is the, um, generally in a lot of other games like Mantic Armada or, I mean, even if you're going back to like, you know, Kill Team, I was playing Underworlds, you know, on Friday there. I'm pretty much always guaranteeing that I can move this and do stuff with a ship again. The ship's never, ever kind of exhausted. And that was, as I say, that was the different thing with found, you know, looking at snapships was like, I can't, I can't do that again. And now I've left my flank, my flank kind of, kind of wide open. Um, with them, you went then to, to kind of what, what made the, what was the decision? Because you went to crowdfunding to look at tactics kind of getting out there. So what, what was, what gave you the, what was the decision behind that to kind of go via that route? as opposed to kind of like test the water and manufacture some units, I guess cost was probably one of them, but I mean, so I, I kind of feel like Kickstarter is the de facto way to launch a new tabletop game right now. Like you kind of have to go there and I think prove that you have a concept that excites people, um, mm. to give you the confidence to go through with the whole manufacturing and the whole launch and, the, and, and kind of all the follow on work. So for us, it was kind of a, let's expose snapships to a whole new group of people 
Yeah. Let's test the waters on the concept and see if we can get them excited about it. And then, you know, if it funds and does well, well, then that'll give us kind of like the runway to to make this thing work and and the confidence to print a bunch of copies of it. Was it um was it interesting kind of getting back to kind of like having to do kind of marketing and stuff like that? Having Absolutely. Kind of, you know, having <laughs> to kind of go back to the ground because I, I I'm assuming that, you know, and again, from the video game side of things, or even from the Snapships itself, you would have been like, well, we've got this other company that's kind of, they've licensed this office, so they're kind of dealing with all the marketing. And then you're leading, you're obviously, you're, you're launching your own Kickstarter and um, you're having a deal with marketing. You're having a deal with kind of getting the word out there. Was that something you handled yourself? Was it, did you say, just dive in, I'm going to do this and um, some of it, yes. I mean, like, I mean, y- you nailed it, right? Like when we were doing our video games, it would be like Activision would come to us and be like, okay, here's three concepts for the launch trailer. Mm. And they'd show us and they were already well-developed and it'd be like, which one do you guys like the best? And we'd yeah. say, oh, we like this one and maybe tweak it this way. And that's a great blah, blah, blah. Not, not the case with Kickstarter. I mean, it's like, <laughs> you're, you got to come up with that concept yourself. You got to write a script, you got to, you know, like get it out to, uh, find some collaborators that can help, you know, bring it to life. And, um, so yeah, it, it was kind of starting with that. I mean, honestly, it was, you know, a big part of it was starting with, uh, the cover art and, uh, um, and the Kickstarter video and, you know, hiring someone awesome like, uh, David Diaz at uh, Mesa game lab to help put that stuff together. And, um, and yeah, it's like, you're, you're kind of just overseeing on a, a on a hands-on basis. And then I, you know, I obviously, we try to hire really good, great collaborators, um, yeah. like Lynn Vander Studios for design. We worked with the um, the crowdfunding nerds um, in terms of like you know trying to build pre-launch uh, hype and then doing ongoing, you know, marketing and advertising and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we had a little bit of an advantage too, right? We had a there was a fan base of of Snapships um, toy line people yeah. in place, um, which really helped, um, you know, kind of be the the starting kernel of the fan base uh for the tabletop game but we also we know from our um from our kickstarter campaign that like at least half the people who backed tactics had never heard of snapships before you know before encountering them in in tactics so yeah yeah no absolutely and it, it, i mean you went on you did almost like three hundred thousand dollars was it what was the feeling like when it funded um, because <laughs> it's an unknown thing. I mean, it's not like yeah, you know, video yeah. games. You know, I mean, like it's not like they say, "Okay, you got to pitch to us the next Tony Hawk's game, and we'll maybe give you the money." I suppose you do, but you know, you're starting from nothing. So, how did it feel when you're kind of like? It was, it was, it was a relief, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you know, you do, you do a million projections, and you're looking at all these data points, and you're like, "If we do this, it should happen. Yeah. If we do this, it should happen." Yeah. Like, but it's still always a should yeah <laughs> and then you press then you press the launch button and it ha- and then it goes and then you're sitting there watching and going like yeah. okay come on come on come on um and you know it's like we went through all the normal kickstarter things that anyone goes through you it's like the launch elation that we're funded and then the yeah. like the the middle campaign like oh. <laughs> the trough where you're just like Oh my God, what is happening? What are we doing wrong? And then the, and then the big finish at the end. So yeah, yeah it's, is, uh, is there any ink 
left on your F5 key <laughs> on, your key, on your keyboard. Because <laughs> I know of people that they kind of, because you can get kind of like, there's a natural, there's a natural kind of a recognized disease called Kickstarter finger. <laughs> which I believe it. It's like rep- repetitive strain injury caused by people <laughs> who can repeatedly pressing F5 to the point where their partner wakes them up in the middle of the night and saying, will you for goodness sake stop poking me in the back of the head <laughs> repeatedly and going, oh, we lost it. Because it's it's kind of like, it to me, okay, to me, like in video games, and there is kind of like you get Steam and you get Steam reviews and folk go, this game sucks, you know, uh, and then, or they put sucks with lots of views because they're intelligent <laughs> people, obviously, uh, you know. Um, but Kickstarter, I don't think there's anything worse then going into your Kickstarter kind of um, your little kind of back office and seeing that you've lost a pledge. I think, I don't think there's, I don't think there's a word because you go like, oh, was it something I said? Was it something, <laughs> was it something I put in the update? Did they not like the color of that ship? Is it me? I put a video out saying how happy I was that we reached a thousand backers. Did they hate me? Oh, no. But... Um, has it encouraged you to go back to kind of Kickstarter again then, or are you, I I mean, now that you're established, is it going to be a case of, well, can we build on the base that we've got? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, I, I think that's the logical progression. It seems like everybody who has a successful run, you know, eventually comes back to it. It's a little bit further out there though. Like we, you know, we did the Kickstarter. Mm. We delivered all of our stuff basically within a year, like kind of a year, you know, yeah. right on the dot, which, yeah. you know, felt good to do that um, as a first time creator. And now we're pretty focused on just making sure that um, we have a good retail launch and um, a lot of good buzz and hype and reviews and all that kind of stuff around um, getting the, the game out there to to a, a little bit broader audience than just the, the the Kickstarter core. The Kickstarter core is like, I kind of see them as the, our insiders are like our biggest fans that are going to be going to be with us. Um, but now we want to get it out a little bit wider. We want to see it being played at, at um, you know, local game stores and mm-hmm. people meeting up to, to get groups together and, uh, and play games and sort of hopefully see the game grow socially as well. And it'll be a whole nother learning process. I mean, I guess you'll probably have people you can lean on from previous days with regards to kind of retail, but I'm not mm-hmm. sure because they, you know, because I'm guessing the video game industry, they're all further digital, aren't they? So they're kind of, oh, like, yeah, yeah, further digital no, on their products. That's been the, that's kind of been the, the shock of this whole uh, process has just been the like, you know, in, in video games, it's like, if the game is a success and we need more units, we just, they just keep getting, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> just get, get sold. It just key. happens. Yeah. <laughs> in with physical stuff, I mean, you have to, months and months, like half a year before your game is out, you have to guess exactly what the demand is going to be and make that amount. And mm-hmm. if you make too few, you you have a, a bunch of unhappy customers. If you take, t- make too many, you just mess up your whole project. You know, the profitability just disappears. So that whole inventory risk sort of side of things has been kind of a 
yeah, a shock <laughs> and a learning process and, yeah. uh, and, 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 uh, kind of a, a landmine of things to watch out for. So that's, that's, it's, I can see why a lot of people always want to, they kind of want to move from the physical product space to the digital product space for, for a lot of these reasons. I, I totally get it. Yeah. 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 And I guess the thing in board games is you can, you can't, <laughs> or you try and then people go, no, I want, I want cardboard. Goodness sake. That's what I'm here for. I'm here for my cardboard and my physical stuff. I'm a Luddite by heart. Um, what's next then? I mean, you've got your snapships. Is this giving you the confidence to say, well, what else can we do? Cause I am looking and it's green. And I don't know if it's because I'm jealous. I'm looking at the mall F2, FT12 assault <laughs> mech. Yeah. You know, you know what I'm thinking, Scotty boy. I know exactly what you you're thinking. thinking. <laughs> you know what I'm thinking. You know what I'm thinking. Well, to answer your question, what is in the future is there are there are 22 different kits for snapships that exist and we support yeah. What do we support? Uh, six of them in the current, the first wave one launch. Yeah. So there are, there are tons of awesome kits out there and parts and, and, um, kind of new areas we'd like to move into bigger ships, smaller ships, um, all kinds of stuff. As you mentioned, the ground, the ground units as well, um, is something that's probably even further out in the distance, but, mm. uh, I can tell you, we definitely developed the rule system with, uh, that stuff in mind because it does exist and there are a lot of mech fans out there oh, so uh, okay. uh, we'll, yeah. we'll see <laughs> yeah yeah well, i'm not holding you to that but at the same time i am holding you <laughs> to that i am expecting i'm expecting an email after this to be saying god damn it <laughs> you just guessed what's happening next um if people have listened along tonight and they are they they, they definitely want to find out what's happening next um, where can we find you on the internet webs? Where's the best place that we can find you? So snapshipstactics.com mm -hmm. has all the info on the game. It's got all the social links at the bottom, uh, which I would primarily point you to discord. If you want to come into our discord and see what other folks are making and what they're building and, uh, some of the crazy units are coming up with, um, all that stuff's happening there. And then, of course, our, our web store is attached to that as well, where you can, you know, browse all the accessories and all the all the extra stuff we have available for Snapships um, as a game. Of course, the game is should be available in your local game store. A little bit tougher over in the UK, like distribution's a little tougher over there, but we do have some um, some companies that have taken it, and um, and of course, in the US, uh, we just launched on Amazon uh, last week, so you can pick up the game that way if that's what works for you it's it's 79.99 <laughs> from what i can see seven i've said that that's a terrible terrible <laughs> you know what i mean my name's earl jones and i'll snap your ship for 79.99 there you go <laughs> but i mean that's i that's kind of amazon that's kind of amazon pricing we will of course make sure that we put all the links in the show notes so that we have got notes to show if you want to keep an eye on what i'm up to don't um but if you do you can go to we're not wizards and dot uh, com and you'll find everything to do with the podcast you can want to read all the reviews that we have written um you can go to we're not wizards.co.uk if you like what you've listened to tonight 
or today or tomorrow or this morning or this afternoon. I don't know. I'm not going to tell you when to listen to a pod pack podcast. Just make sure you listen to it. Then please go to your podcast catcher of choice and please give us a rating or a review. If you are going to be giving us a rating or a review, don't give us 10 stars because it makes me big headed. Uh, but don't give me one star because it makes us cry. Give us something in the middle, like a five, because it's average. And I'm just a little bit average. But the person who's not been average is the rather wonderful, the rather fantastic, the person who cost literally hundreds of hours of my life with like whittling guitar through the fire and flame and all that nonsense. It's Mr. <laughs> Scott Pease. Thank you very, very much for guesting, sir. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Um, there's only two more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we're many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Scott? You can be wizards oh. if you want to be. <laughs> what is it with you people? Do you like meet up beforehand and discuss how we're going to annoy me the most? Shows called <laughs> We're Not Wizards. That means if I ask the question, if you're a wizard, the answer is no. <laughs> and the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye to the sudden disappointment that is Scott Pease. Say goodbye, Scott. <laughs> goodbye, Scott. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll sixes, and if they excuse me now, I'm going to have to go and stand out in the cold and vent some of this heated aggression that's built up after that last answer. Until the next time, stay snappy. Goodbye. A wizard is never late. Is he early? He arrives precisely when he means to.